Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, truly we rejoice over the year that's come, and we pray that we may be of right mind and right attitude before you, and we pray that as we listen to your word today, that truly you will speak to us through the Holy Spirit in our hearts, so that we may begin the year right before you, and to prepare ourselves for the year to come. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, I think some of the saddest stories that you hear are of people who start life really well, but they don't finish well. You know, they show a lot of early promise, but then it all fizzles out before the promise, uh, before the finish line. You know, they have a lot, but they end up with nothing. Uh, recently, you will know that I went to Sydney to visit my sister in Australia for holidays. And during that time, while we were on holiday, we received some very uh, sad news because a family friend had died. And this family friend was someone who uh, I had uh, stayed with uh, many times when I was studying in Australia. And he was a very wealthy man at that point in time. He owned a shopping mall. Uh, and anybody who owns a shopping mall is not poor. Okay? And he also owned a few condominiums in Singapore. And his house in Australia had a garden. Now you might say, well, what's the big deal, right? All houses have gardens. Well, except this guy's house was an indoor garden. So you imagine how big his house must be to have an indoor garden, right? And he had a swimming pool and a tennis court, but it's all by the way. But the thing is, when he died, uh, at the end of last year, while we were on holiday, we received a call that he died. He died in poverty. He died living in a rented flat, where he was actually being pursued by his creditors. And it was very sad, you know, because when you think about it, he had so much when we knew him, my sister and I as children, but then at the end of his life, he had hardly anything. You know, he's living a life in poverty. Now, as we uh, begin the new year, begin 2011, I think all of us want to finish well in life, isn't it? Not necessarily materially well in life, but I think that as a Christian, my hope for you and my hope for myself is that we will finish well in the Christian life, in our walk with Jesus. And I think that as we look at today's passage, it's all about how to finish well in the Christian walk. Now, if you look at today's passage, if you look up here on, this, on the slide, right? There are actually three main verbs in this uh, section. I'm going to focus on verse 19 to 25. And actually, three main verbs in the whole section. You can't see it so well in English, but then it is there, right? And everything else in the passage hangs together with these three main verbs. So in verse 22, all right, it says, oh, oh, let me, I should get to Hebrews here. In verse 22, it says, let us draw near to God. And that's the main verb. The second main verb is, let us, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we have. And the next main verb is verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And these are the main three verbs in this section. And each of these verbs here tell us how to go on in the Christian life and how to persevere in the Christian life. Now, it begins this section. Obviously, we haven't looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 1 to 10. But it begins this section in verse 19 with the word, therefore. You see, therefore? Now, we never begin any sentence with the word, therefore. right? Because, therefore literally means because. It, it relates to what's come before. Now this therefore, in verse 19, is a very big therefore. I don't, I'm not even sure whether there's a bigger therefore in the New Testament. Because here, this therefore re- relates not just to one chapter or two chapters, but actually to five chapters of what has come before in the book of Hebrews. So if you look at, you need your Bibles, right? Okay, you need your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, put out your hand and Ernest will get one for you. And, and you, you, can you look at the Bible? If you need one, put out your hands. You see, Therefore, in verse 19 says, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way open for us through the curtains, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now this therefore links back all the way to the end of chapter 4. Because if you turn back in your Bibles to chapter 4, it talks about Jesus, the great high priest. See, look at chapter 4. My, my Bible in the NIV has a title on top of verse 14. Jesus, the great high priest. So from chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, it's all about Jesus as the great high priest, greater than any high priest. Chapter 9 to chapter 10 talks about the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice, the body of Jesus. So the word therefore here, if you uh, look at the next slide, actually talks about two main things that Jesus has done for us. Who Jesus is, he is the great high priest, and what he has done for us, he is our sacrifice, the blood of Jesus on the cross. And what it says there is because Jesus is our high priest, because Jesus has sacrificed himself by his blood on the cross, we have a way to God, we have a way through the curtain, it says there. Now what it means here is, on the next slide, is that in the ancient world, in the temple, there was within the temple this place called the Holy of Holies. Now you can't see very well, uh, number 10, right? That's where the temple building is. And inside the temple structure, there was the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. And within, the, before the Holy of Holies, was this big curtain. Uh, not a thin curtain, but a really thick curtain. And that curtain was actually a barrier to stop people from going into the Holy of Holies. So you think of having a door, right? But instead of having a door, you just have this big, heavy curtain. It's like a big sign saying, no entry. And this curtain could only be entered into one day of the year by one person, and that was the high priest. After the Day of Atonement, where he was, there have been many sacrifices of blood, of uh, bulls and goats. But here in this section, it says that because of the blood of Jesus, in verse 19, we have a new way, we can open the curtain, we can all go into the presence of God. So therefore, we should draw near to God because we have this great privilege because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of Jesus allows us to draw near into the presence of God. But not only that, because Jesus is our high priest, he's a bit like our usher, you know, a bit like an escort or a guide. He can bring us into the presence of God and introduce us to God and we do not feel ashamed. See, this is why in verse uh, 20, it talks about how we have great confidence. Right? We have great confidence. Verse 22, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with holy water. See, so if you look at the next slide, it talks about how we have this great confidence that we can go to God now and we don't feel guilty because we are washed clean by pure water, the blood, the, the water that comes from washing from the blood of Jesus. Our hearts do not feel guilty because they are sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. We can go into the presence of God with full assurance that God will not reject us. Now, I think that uh, the writer of Hebrews spends five chapters laboring this point and you might say, why does he spend five chapters doing that, right? I mean, he could have just said it in a few, few verses, right? Why does he waste his time? Maybe waste our time reading it. I think the reason is, he wants to tell us what a great privilege that we have in being able to draw near to God this way. You see, 
Have you heard of this song? I don't know whether you heard this song before, right? It's a rock ballad. No, I like rock ballads, right? And it goes as this, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. You know? You don't know what you got till it's gone. Right, you know that song? Have you heard the song? Well, if you haven't heard it, well, too bad for you. <laughs> but it's trying to show that when you have something, you don't realize what you've got until you lose it, isn't it? And what this section is trying to do is it's trying to show us what we have in Jesus, His sacrifice. He's our high priest. We can enter into the presence of God. Now, you might think that that's not a very big deal, but it is a big deal to be able to enter into the presence of God. See, remember in Exodus here, the Israelites, they were asked to draw near to God. They were asked to come into the presence of God. Do you remember? That's the whole reason why God took His people out of Egypt, to bring them to worship Him. But what happened when they tried to draw near to God? Well, this is what happened. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God, to draw near to God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. The next uh, passage in Exodus 20, which is related, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself. And we will listen, but do not have the Lord speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. You see, in the old days, for the Jews, God asked them to draw near to God. And what happened? They drew away from God. They drifted away from God. And why? Because God, the power of God's holiness, the manifestation of His purity, made people fear. And why? In verse 20, because God was to show them that sin, sin was serious, isn't it? To keep them from sinning. But now, all of us here have the opportunity to draw near to God. We don't have to be scared like the people when they were at Mount Sinai because the blood of Jesus has washed us clean. The cross The sacrifice of the cross has allowed us to open the curtain to allow us to go in at any time, at any place. And not only that, we have this full assurance because Jesus is our high priest. Now, that means that all of us here have confidence to have a relationship with God. Doesn't matter if you speak in tongues. Doesn't matter if you're rich. Doesn't matter how you are baptized. You have full assurance, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. Who He is, He is our great high priest. And what He has done, He has sacrificed His life on the cross. Now, that is greater than owning a house with an indoor garden and a tennis court and a swimming pool. That is greater than having a few flats, you know. The ability to have a relationship with God is a truly wonderful treasure. 
And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, draw near to God. You have this opportunity, draw near to God. Seize this opportunity. So that's the first thing that you have to do to hold on to your faith. To draw near to God, to recognize what you have in Jesus for you. The second thing comes in verse 23. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now, what is the hope that we profess? Now, if you look at the context of this passage, the hope that we profess is the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life. See, look at what it says there in verse 37 to verse 39. The context is about the hope of what is to come. So cast your eyes on the Bible. Look what it says in verse 37. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. If he shrinks back, I will not be pleased. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So the hope here that we hold on to unwaveringly is the hope of a certain future. Not because of what we do, but because God is faithful in His promises. Now, the verb here talks about holding on to something and not letting go. Like holding on for dear life. You know, have you heard the phrase holding on for dear life? So, I think to myself, I know that uh, when I was younger, I used to go windsurfing. I know Derek used to go windsurfing too, right? And when you're windsurfing, and the wind is really strong, if you want to keep going, what do you have to do? You have to hold on really tight to the sail. Because if you're not holding on tight, you lose control, you fall in the water. It's a bit like water skiing. You know, anybody here going water skiing? You know, you're going water skiing, and the boat is going fast, the water is very choppy. You need to hold on really tight to, to the, whatever you hold on to, the handle, right? So that you get, keep going on. And that's the same picture here. You want to keep going on in the Christian life, you've got to hold on to the certain hope of eternal life, of heaven. Because if you don't hold on to the hope, that certain hope of eternal life in heaven, then the troubles of today will actually destabilize your faith. You know, you think about it, if you don't look forward and hold on to the hope of eternal life, if you have ill health, if you lose possessions, things go badly in life, your life and your faith will be going up and down like a yo-yo, isn't it? But if you hold on tight to the hope of eternal life, your faith will be constant and sure. So, there was this uh, preacher, a uh, pastor called William Taylor in St. Helens, and he used this illustration about how when he was growing up, he had an uncle who was an army major, but he also used to go to universities to preach at the universities to uh, evangelize them. And one day they were having dinner, and uh, they were, he was having, a, he was carving, he had a huge carving knife in his hand, I don't know, it's probably bigger than this, okay, this is a carving knife, okay? So he was carving the meat, and he said to William, pointing the knife at him, right? And he said, William, if you want to grow up, so you've got to be a Christian with a backbone of steel, steel like this, unbending. And he quoted this passage, he said, you don't have a backbone of steel as a Christian, Right? How was the secret? He said, you got to have, uh, you have to have a hold, a firm hold of your future 
in heaven. And that's true, don't you think? Because when you face persecution, when you face hard times as a Christian, when you suffer, if you focus on the here and now, you don't focus on your certain future, your faith may waver. So I remember 300 years after the death of Jesus, there was this man called Athanasius. See, I'm going to teach you church history now. Athanasius was uh, one of the early Christian leaders. And he was uh, one who faced one of the early Christian heresies. And during his time, Athanasius, there was a, there was a, a school of thought which said that Jesus was not truly God. That Jesus was a creature, that he was uh, created by God, and there was a time that Jesus was not a being. But Athanasius stood up against this uh, heresy, uh, but at, at one stage he looked as if he was going to lose. And uh, when he was losing, uh, one of his uh, supporters said to him, No, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. And Athanasius stood up and he said, If the whole world is against Athanasius, then Athanasius is against the whole world. See, how, did, how was he able to stand up against the whole world? Because he had a great hope of the certain future. He had a great belief in Jesus. And he was unwilling to bend to the pressure of people around him. And I think that's what we need, isn't it? If we want to stand strong as Christians, and we want a, a backbone of steel as a Christian, we must hold on tight to the certain hope of eternal life. Now, the last uh, verb comes in verse 24 to verse 25. And let us consider... Oh, you can see up, up here in the slide. Okay, so the main verb is this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And how are we to do that? Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, uh, that's going to be our uh, theme for the year. So I made these um, bookmarks. So maybe if I can get... Uh, um, uh, Melvin, you're young, uh, Melvin. Now come right here and help distribute this. Um, and uh, Irvin, maybe help. Okay, uh, don't distribute them all because we still have the second service. Just give one to each person and give me back the rest, okay? Okay, so um, give one to each person. So, I've time for you um, here in the bookmark, uh, verse 25, alright, which is how we are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Okay, and I think the theme here is that the Christian life is not a Lone Ranger life. You know Lone Ranger, right? Okay? It is not where we are rugged, self-sufficient islands on our own, but rather, the Christian life must be lived out in fellowship. Uh, it must be lived out in community. It must be lived out in relationship to other people. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. So, I often tell, you know the Helping Hand, you know who the Helping Hand uh, brothers are, right? The Helping Hand brothers, the Helping Hand is across the road, it's not just a parking lot, okay? It is uh, where there's a drug rehab center. And I think that the Helping Hand brothers, they hear the same thing from me every time they come. I said, look, God only gives you three things in your Christian walk. The Bible, prayer, and fellowship. When they are in the helping hand, they read the Bible, 
they pray, but they have lots of fellowship. They have a chapel every day, they get together, they read the Bible, they have a quiet time. But six months later, when they leave the helping hand and they go out into the real world, many of them will fall back into drugs. And by experience, 80% of people that we deal with will fall back into drugs. Now why does that happen? They still pray, they still read the Bible, but they don't have the fellowship. They don't have a body of common-minded, like-minded people to keep them from going back to drugs. And you see, it's a very, uh, I mean, even the secular world is a very commonly accepted thing that if you hang around people, they will influence you. Don't you think so? So, there was a study done, I know I read it in the newspaper somewhere, that if you want to lose weight, you know what you have to do? You hang around people who don't eat very much. Okay, you, you hang around skinny people and you, soon you'll find that you don't eat so much. You want to get fit? You hang around people who go jogging a lot, run marathons and do triathlons. After a while, you'll soon be running a marathon and doing triathlons and doing what else, okay? Because that's the power of influence. But the problem is that Satan is always whispering in our ears, we can do it on our own. We can do it on our own. And he tells us all sorts of reasons why we don't need to come together to fellowship, deep fellowship together. So, you know, maybe something embarrassing has happened to you. Something, some sin has become known in your life. Or you, 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 something has happened to you that you find that you don't want people to know. And, and Satan is whispering in your ear, or maybe you should work it out yourself. You should withdraw from fellowship. But more often than not, I think Satan whispers in our ears, so you know, you don't have to have fellowship because there are more better things to do with your time. More interesting things to do, more interesting people. I remember when I uh, came back from Australia, I had a friend of mine who was a strong Christian. He came to work in what was compact. No more compact lah. Compact, old computer, dead already, right? Okay, no more compact. But compact used to be quite a big computer company. Came back, joined church, joined Bible study. But then gradually, I noticed he's not going to Bible study so much. You know why? Because, you know, he got extra work. He wants to do extra study. And then, you know, he stopped coming to church once in a while. I said, what's happening? Oh, you got, I, I, I met all these different people outside in the working world. And I got all these different hobbies I want to do. So after a while, he stopped coming to church. Stopped going to Bible study. And today, he has lost his great treasure. He's no longer a Christian. Why? Because he got into the habit of not meeting up regularly. This young man, when he was in university, when I knew him, we used to go to university lunchtime fellowship, university Bible study, Friday night talk, church on Sunday. See, he was surrounded by good fellowship. But when he came back to Singapore, he cut himself off from fellowship. And today... He's no longer a Christian. See, you think about it. You know, if you see a flock of birds, you know those birds that fly long distance, I don't know, they fly from like the North Pole to don't know, somewhere else, right? They all fly together. They never fly alone. In fact, I was reading this, uh, watching this show, if the, if the bird leaves the flock when it's flying towards some long distance, the bird will usually die. Because it can't make it all the way on its own. If you have a barbecue, and you have all the coals together, the coals will stay hot. But you take one coal and put it out by itself, that coal will soon lose its heat. Don't you think? So let me ask you, are you in the habit 
of not meeting up together. Maybe you're too tired, too busy, too many hobbies. You know, you really need uh, things to, that you feel are very important. Well, you are at great risk. You, you know, the Bible is here saying, you're putting yourself at great risk of losing your great treasure. And I think it's, a, it's often a reflection of our priorities, not time, right? So, uh, there's this pastor, David Steele, who says that, you know, in our time, me time is very important. You know, me time, me time, right? Rest time is very important. But he said that actually, he did a study, or he was reading a book, which said that holidays were not legislated until 1936 in England. That's when the first holidays were actually mandatory uh, in, the, in the working world. But he says that now, in England, right, many people stop coming to church because, you know, they, they, they have to have me time, holiday time. So, you know, long weekends, they don't come. Holidays, they don't come. Then you put that together with, uh, you know, being sick, uh, relatives visiting, sporting events, EPL, late nights, movies, dinners, uh, children's uh, hobbies. Then soon people make it a habit of not coming to church at all, isn't it? And then after a while, they're not even Christian anymore. They've lost their faith. I'm sure we know people like that. I've, I know many people like that. My own friends are like that. But the Bible is very clear. You've got to draw near to God. Hold on to your hope. and You, know, you, you must spur one another on. You cannot spur one another on unless you are meeting up together regularly. Now, it's amazing what you get, again, you learn from the Animal Channel. I was a, my brother-in-law, he likes the Animal Channel, so you're forced to watch a lot of things when you, when you visit him, you see, all the Animal Channel stuff. So I remember watching with him about how these tigers, I think they're tigers, tigers are the ones in Africa, right? Or they're lions. Lions, okay, lions, tigers are lions, like, see, it shows how, how, how well versed I am in all these animal things. Hey, lions. So these lions, the pride of, uh, pride of lions, right? They, they, they go and attack these zebras. And you know what they do? They sort of split up, you know. Very interesting. They are very fascinating. You watch them, they split up and they hide the, 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 the tall grass. And then they all, at once, sort of jump onto the, the zebras and they get them all confused. And you know why? Because they want the zebras to split up. Right? They don't want them to stay together. They want them to split up. And then the ones who are all by themselves, they are the zebras that end up dying. Right? The ones that stay within the group, they all survive. But the ones that get split up, they all die. And that's what I like as Christians. When you are a solitary Christian by yourself, you are dead meat. You might survive one year, you might survive two years, three years, four years at the most, but without that fellowship, without that relationship, you will not survive in the long run. So here, it says there, right? First part is, do not get into the habit of not meeting up together. The next part says, but let us encourage one another, right? So you can see here on the card, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now again, the day here refers to Judgment Day, the day of Jesus coming. Right? It's, not, it's something in the future, it's not a holiday, right? It's the day that Jesus comes again. Now, what do you think of church? What is church? If you could ask yourself that question, what is church? Is church a building? Is church a denomination? Is church a service? No, according to this uh, phrase here, church is a group of like-minded people coming together 
to encourage each other to the day that Jesus comes. That's very clear, isn't it? Let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what church is. Church is people coming together to encourage one another till Jesus comes. Now that means that we are here not to be served, but to serve and love one another. And that's why I put this life... Uh, okay, you might ask yourself, why did I put the lifeboat here in the bookmark, right? And I put here, no one left behind. Because in, in many ways, I think that's what church is like. Church is like this lifeboat. We are all on this big lifeboat, and we are trying to keep everybody in the lifeboat till our rescuer, Jesus, comes and saves us. Isn't that what we are here for? We are all here together. We're here to persevere and help one another persevere in our faith till Jesus comes. And that means that church is about you helping one another. You see, notice, uh, notice, notice. Uh, it doesn't say, let the pastor encourage you. And all the more as you see that. Uh, it doesn't say, let your Bible study leader encourage you. It says, let us encourage one another. So each of us has a role to play in encouraging each other. By you being here, physically here, by you speaking to people, you make a difference in their Christian world. Now, church is not like a restaurant. Okay? Many people believe that church is a restaurant. Or it's something like a restaurant. Because you know, you go to a restaurant, you are served, right? You expect good service. You expect everything to be, uh, you know, everything well organized. You don't like messiness. And it's very easy to go to another restaurant. Very easy to opt out of the restaurant, right? I don't like the food. Chef no good today. Try another one. But church is not a restaurant. Because church is us coming to serve and love one another. Even when there is messiness. Even when things are difficult. Because we are intensely interested to see that other people are also saved. And that means that when we come to church, we can't just tick a box and say, okay, I went to church this weekend, uh, everything is okay, huh? okay? When I come to church, I must have the attitude that I'm here to serve and love other people and make sure that their faith is good, isn't it? Because why are you here today? When you woke up this morning and said, I'm coming to church today, what did you have in your mind? Why, why, why did you come to church? See, you should be coming to church thinking, yes, I want to grow in Christ, I want to be strong in faith, and that's why I'm coming to church. But I'm also here to help other people to grow in Christ and grow in their faith. So I have a friend of mine, and uh, he used to play golf on Sunday afternoons. But then uh, after a while, he stopped playing golf on Sunday afternoon. I said, why, are you, why don't you play golf anymore on Sunday afternoon? He said, because he realized that when he was playing golf on Sunday afternoon, it distracted him at church. So he would want to rush off as soon as church finished to get to the golf course. And it wouldn't give him opportunity to speak to people. And if people wanted to talk to him and they had problems, so sorry, right? Because, you know, I've got to make my tea time. So he realized that it just didn't work because he was here to help other people and his golf was actually getting in the way of him actually helping other people in Christ. But uh, sometimes we, uh, we come across people who are not like that. You know, some people are the come, uh, come late, leave early sort, right? You know, you know that sort of Christian? Come early, leave late. Oh no, cannot be. Come late, leave early. Sorry. Come late, leave early. Right? Because they want to come, you know, listen to sermons, sing a few songs. They don't want to leave because they're not really interested in helping the other people. 
So I want to uh, put up here on this slide. Uh, I, I read this in the commentary that in the early church, in the early church in England, uh, this is not the Anglican church, but the, the uh, Reformed church in England, to become a member of the church, you had to write this uh, commitment. And what was the commitment? We engage to watch one another in love. And I thought, wow, well, that's really powerful, isn't it? Because coming to church is watching over other people in love. That's what church is. It's not about me, myself. It's about helping all of us to persevere till Jesus comes. So, uh, I, I was going to put another picture, but then uh, this picture didn't look so good. Next picture. I was thinking, actually, church is a bit like this, isn't it? This picture up here. Uh, but I thought lifeboat is better than convoy. Lah. Okay. So this is uh, some uh, American mechanized unit, logistic unit or something. And what they do is they supply all the forward bases in Afghanistan. So what they do is they bring all the fuel, the food. So they go back and forth, back and forth. Right? It's very dangerous because you know they're traveling back and forth. It's much safer to be in your base, right? And they always travel in a convoy. Why do they travel in a convoy? Why don't they just go one at a time and feel, whenever they feel like it? Because they will not survive the journey. And that's what church is. We will not survive by ourselves. We will only survive as well as we take care of one another. That's what church is. It's like a convoy traveling through hostile territory. So, church is not about being served, but actually loving and serving other people. It's about watching other people. Now, if you look at this passage again, you'll see that church is not about activities, isn't it? But it's about relationship. Because if you look at this passage, it says that we must spur one another on. We must keep encouraging one another, and it doesn't happen without relationship. You see, if you look at uh, this passage, if you look at the, the book of Hebrews, it keeps referring to the church as holy brothers and, and sisters as well, and also as friends. Because that's what the church is about. The church is about relationship. Just not about activity. You know, some people say, church is about uh, me coming to church and I listen to sermon. I, I sing songs, I uh, you know pray, but church is not about activities. Church is about relationship. You see, when we come to church, we are committing to have relationship with people. It, it matters to us our relationship with people. But I think in the world we live in, we live in a very individualistic world. So the pastor. Oh, sorry, my, my principal at Theological College made this assessment and he said that in the world we live in, we are very individualistic. So we are very work-rich but relationship-poor. We are very material-rich but we're very relationship-poor. We are very activity-rich but very relationship-poor. And I think that's a very good observation of life, isn't it? Because in the world we live in, we have this philosophy where I don't really want to share my life with people. I don't want people to know about me unless it's only the good things. And I don't really want people to tell me what to do. I want to do my own thing. See, we, we find it difficult, relationships, but we don't mind having lots of activities and lots of material things and lots of work. But relationships, you know, to commit to a relationship, that is hard. Uh, maybe that's why there's so many divorces these days. So anyway, I went to photocopy all the Bible studies and I was talking to this uh, lady who's the photocopying lady. 
And uh, we always talk a long time actually, so it takes a long time for me to get photocopies nowadays. She was telling me how her mother, I asked her how her 2010 was. So she said, oh, it was a bad year. And she said that her mother had fallen down and broken her hip and had been in the hospital ICU for one month. But she said that in the one month that her mother had been in ICU, the eldest daughter and the third son never went to visit even once. And isn't that amazing? Because she said that they were too busy. They were too busy. And I think that that's a sign of life, isn't it? That we are so busy doing things that actually we're not committed to relationships. We prefer to do activities rather than relate. So when I came back from uh, Australia, uh, we, we saw some of our older relatives in Sydney and they said, oh, you know, you really should organize a uh, Christmas party and things like that and bring all the families together, you know, because even though they live in Malaysia and everything, we should all get together. So we tried to get all the family together. We SMS, email, Facebook, everything else. But then people said, oh, you know, we, 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 we can't come. Like, you know why people can't come? Because they prefer to go skiing or they prefer to go on holiday, or they prefer to go to a beach somewhere. But actually what it's essentially saying is, you prefer to do activities rather than actually commit to relationships, isn't it? And I think that as church, we, we cannot do that. When we come together as church, we must be committed to one another. So, if we don't come, right, it matters to someone. We actually tell people, we, we, you know, we, we feel that it's important that someone is struggling at Bible study. If they're not here, we give them a call, we visit them. Because we are committed to that relationship. It's not just me going to Bible study or me going to church and I'm absorbing. But I'm, I'm coming because I'm committed to this relationship. You know, it's like my, uh, my parents, uh, they used to play lots of tennis and golf. And when they got cancer, all their tennis friends and their golf friends all slowly disappeared. Because they're not really committed to the relationship. They're just committed to the activity. I'm committed to playing tennis if you happen to come along, well, we'll play with you. But if you're sick, well, we'll find someone else, right? And that's the way the world is. But church is very different. In church, relationship is what counts. Relationship with one another matters. If I'm sick, you know, I'm, I'll tell people and I, I hope that people will come and they will actually be committed to a relationship with me. Not just because I'm not in Bible study anymore, or I'm not in church anymore, but because of the relationship. So those are the three things, I think, that I want to leave you with in the new year. If you want to persevere and finish well, draw near to God in full confidence because of what Jesus has done and who He is. Hold on, hold on tightly to the hope of our future. But last of all, you cannot do it yourself. We must get together and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We must not give up meeting together and we must keep encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approach. Now in conclusion, when I was younger, um, I used to like bicycling with my neighbours and my sister. So one day, we got a bit bored, you know, because we, we just bicycle around our neighbourhood. And I'm sure that all of you, if you've ever bicycled, will know the experience. That, you know, you've explored every inch of your neighbourhood. There's nothing more to see. You've gone here, gone there. Your neighbourhood is too small. So we said, okay lah, why don't we go bicycle on the main road? That would be really exciting, wouldn't it? Just go on the main road. I just go where we feel like going, right? So anyway, 
can you imagine, like, I was less than uh, six years old, my sister and a few other people. And we said, okay, let's go to the main road. Lah. So we went on the main road, all the big lorries and the big trucks and the buses and everything else. And I think we survived about 100 meters. Saying, hey, this is a really bad idea, no? We could actually end up dying here, right? So we turned around and I remember telling my parents and they were freaking out, right? Why did you run on the main road? Okay? And I think that you see, when you're young, you don't have an appropriate fear of what is a good idea or a bad idea. I mean, you think, oh, ride bicycle on the main road. <laughs> How bad can it be, right? But actually, when you get older, you realize actually that's quite dangerous, right? I mean, to run on the main road, you know, before your primary one, without a helmet. Okay, that's dangerous. I mean, that's why you see young children, you know, they do very dangerous things. You know, they climb out the window, you know, uh, they um, run across the street. No fear. But I think that this passage tells us that we must have an appropriate fear. And that fear is the fear of losing eternal life. The fear of losing Jesus, our sacrifice. The, the fear of losing Jesus, our great high priest. If we have that fear, we will hold on to the certain hope that we have of eternal life. We will continue to meet up one another. We will care for one another. We will see how important church is. We will not keep Christians and Christian friends at a distance, but we will want to embrace them and help one another to grow in Christ. So as we enter into 2011, my hope is that we will all end well. We will all stay in the lifeboat together. We will be like the motto, no one left behind, right? We will be like this convoy and we will reach our destination when Jesus comes and we will all be strong Christians at that point in time. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, Truly we want to thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us. That he died on the cross and by his blood we are washed clean. That we can come to you in absolute confidence with no fear, with full assurance because we are no longer sinful or guilty but we are completely sinless and righteous before you. We thank you that Jesus is our great high priest who will guard us and usher us into your presence. And we pray that uh, because of your great promises we know that when Jesus comes again, we will receive our eternal life and heavenly promise. And we pray that we may hold on unwaveringly, unswaveringly to that promise, despite of whatever happens in this life to us. And we pray last of all, that we will continue to spur one another on in Christ. That we will not give up meeting together, that we will encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.